What's up everyone, welcome to episode 7 of the Noise Podcast. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. How are we getting on, Sam? Oh, I'm fantastic, mate. How about you? It's another wonderful Sunday. It is, it is. A, a hangover free. This one. <laughs> yeah, a hangover free Sunday for us, uh, which yeah, is a rare uh, absolutely, absolutely. It's been quite nice, actually. I, I, I won't get, I, I don't want to get used to them, but they are, they are fairly pleasant. It'll make tomorrow, my, my first day back at work, quite um, just less painful, which I think is what we're all here to do, actually. Usually we record this on a Saturday ride, but this time I was like, I'm going to be hungover on Saturday, so I'll just delay it to Sunday this time. Because, mate, yesterday, yesterday I couldn't, I couldn't discuss coherent thoughts. Yesterday I was, <laughs> I was in the state, man. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think I think I think the people in my house just thought I was dead uh, at one point because like three o'clock in the afternoon and it was just just like a dark crevice that would replace my room instead. So I'm, I'm completely with you. I think Sunday was the better option this weekend by far. If you've never come across us before, this is a fortnightly podcast where we discuss all the rock and metal shit happening in and around you. So this week we've got another stacked one. I don't think we've had a week, actually, where it hasn't been a busy episode, actually, yet. Um, Very which true. Which is cool in itself. And to think this is episode seven, I'm amazed that we're, this is, what, we've done six episodes already. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. And uh, you, I, I've got to be honest, I expected by now that there would have been at least one rip-roaring, scathing review from one of us two. And uh, yet to be, actually, we've liked everything that we've come across, which is, I've got to say... Of all the things I expected, that was like bottom of the barrel. I expected, <laughs> I expect, within seven episodes, I expect us to come across one thing that we both like detested. I'm sure that is coming. Yeah. But I'm amazed it isn't. It has yet to rear its head. More, more so from you than me. Yeah, I, I, this is the uh, this is the only part of my life where I haven't experienced hatred for seven consecutive weeks. <laughs> Because uh, every other area of my life, I experience it much, much, much more regularly. Um, so actually, yeah, shout out to all the bands um, for not making me so angry as 2016 and 2017 did, and 2018 for that matter, for large portions. So so far, actually, the first three months of 2019 has been has been fairly incident free. Um, I, I have a feeling that that will inevitably change, however, and people will. We'll see our true colours shining out before long. Let's ride the bandwagon as, as long as we can until we start ripping the shit out of people. Yeah, people at the moment are like, hey, those guys are really positive, life-affirming dudes. Yes, wait till May. <laughs> or hopefully, wait till, hopefully not wait till the end of this episode. Who knows? <laughs> Merch, noise.bigcartel.com. Still a few T-shirt and beanie bundles left. £15.50. You can pick your own colour as well. Cardiff Music Awards. Uh, we are up for Best Music Press, which would be amazing for us to win. Go to CardiffMusicAwards.com and you can go to the Google form where you can pick who you'd like to win the award. Hopefully, you would select us. It'd be, it would mean a lot to us if you did. Uh, it's great <laughs> to just be nominated, <laughs> though. If we directed the website and then they'd vote for somebody else, that would be a bit good. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me. But we believe in democracy, man, so you vote for who you want. Uh, absolutely, okay, unless we don't like the result, then we'll have a second referendum on the vote <laughs> and see if we have a different Cardiff Music Award winner later that we'll announce ourselves. Let's get on with the show. So before we go into the news, Sam, yes, I did some digging on YouTube. I was just listening to I was listening to Green Day, one of my all-time favourite bands. Just like sweet, sweet. they're one of those bands that, like, every few weeks, every well, every few months. 
I'll like I'll forget how amazing they were, how much I love them, and then I'll end up like diving back in and then being like, holy shit! Like, it just yeah. hits me, hit me, it hits me all over again. Like the first time I ever really fell in love with them, man, it's amazing. But That's this cool. time, this time, man, I came across Bullet in a Bible. You seen that show? Yes, actually, I own it. Believe it or not, um, mate, it's 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 tremendous. The, I think more than any other show, live show that I've seen of a band. That is like the greatest like point in time reference that I can that I know of. Um, there might be others that pass me by. But, or I'm when just you say not point in time reference, do you mean like just capture a band at a particular moment? Yeah. Like, okay. like in terms of iconicism with a band, Billy Joe Armstrong with a black t-shirt and a red tie on. That with like with the eyeliner on and like the, yeah. the like the scruffy black hair. That, guitar. that to me like just tells everything about American Idiot and just that whole time frame for for what that album did for Green Day Man and what the political landscape was at that time. And really interesting for me listening to American Idiot as an album now. Because when it first came out and I was listening to it, I had absolutely no concept of what politics even was. I was eleven years old, meant nothing to me. Yeah. Yet, but it was the music that captured me. And listening back to it now, and in my later years of life and adult years, that album is so geniusly written. But you watch that show at Milton Keynes Bowl, mate. When they come out to American Idiots, literally every every single word you're just being absolutely fucking bellowed back at Billy Joe, and like yeah. the the crowd. I think it's one of the coolest gig settings I've ever seen. Like in my life, yeah. Where it comes in one that big massive hill circle. and the fields and stuff. It's it's brilliant, isn't it? And my sister went to both of them. They did that on a Saturday and a Sunday. Absurd to think that they sold out Milton Keynes Bar, which is what sixty sixty five thousand people on consecutive nights. Like that, that tells you right there what American Idiot did for Green Day. But my sister went to both of those shows, which is crazy in itself. And then she flew to San Francisco to see them play there as well. Uh, yeah, my sister was an absolute fucking huge super fan, man. <laughs> um, which I, I was speaking to her about it yesterday, actually. I was like, man, you were at this show, yeah, what was it like? And basically, she just echoed what I thought her sentiments would be. She was like, it was the greatest thing ever, best music performance I've ever seen. And there was literally nothing I could look at that sh- look back at that show and change. But the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because you're such a fan of live albums. And sometimes we, have a, sometimes we have a joke about it between ourselves. Like, hey, like you seem to like just shove studio quality in the yeah. bin. You just want to <laughs> hear it live. You know what would make this album better? Crowd noise and feedback. <laughs> but, mate, if we just talk about that show as in just a strictly musical performance... Dude, that is—it's oh, brilliant, sensational, and and I think it, it what it did for what it did for Green Day is 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 it confirmed the strength of, of American Idiot that they came out with Ducky a decade before, and obviously that was like a seminal album for those guys and that band and that 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 genre at the time. But they felt that it was American Idiot and the size of the shows they were doing that really deserved a video recording of that nature, which, which says a lot from the band that the, but they knew it was special within months and. The new material at the time, the American Idiot material, is being sung as loudly as ba- Basket Case and When I Come Around and absolutely and and, and, and and all these other massive hits that they were playing. Um, when September Ends is huge, Boulevard of Broken Dreams is huge, Holiday, American Idiot, um, Jesus Suburbia, which they're playing full, uh, it, uh, astonishingly. And that is amazing as well, that whole yeah, nine minutes it really, is really is. 
It really, really is. So I think for that, for that group to be able to accomplish that, um, is, is, is incredible. And I think that, I think you're right in the sense of that, that show captures a, not just a band in time, but sort of a mood and a popularity and a period. When I, when I watch that, that Green Day show, I, I think of that year and that, those, those albums that were coming out in 2004, 2005 and the things that were popular. And it, it really, it really is now like a while ago, 14 years. Um, so it's, it's an incredible show, I think, in terms of like live rock albums of the last sort of 20 years. I think it's, it's definitely up there in that list for, for, for more modern ones, certainly. It's incredible to think that like in 1994, Green Day released Dookie, which was, like you just said, capturing that zeitgeist at that time. And then 10 years later, they released an album at the complete other end of the spectrum that captured the zeitgeist again. Yeah, it, 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 there, there, aren't, there aren't many bands that can release two different albums so far apart from each other that are equally successful for entirely different reasons. Uh, it just it just doesn't happen. Like bands tend to have a, like a, a three to seven year peak or whatever it might be, where they release two or three albums, and during that period of time that there's like one really 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 good one, and then two like eighty percent versions of that like sort of either side of it. But Green Day were like almost like two different bands between between Dookie and American Idiot. You watch the show, and yeah. the crowd involvement is at a level that I very, very rarely ever seen uh, slash experience. Like, yeah. there's, there's a part where I think it's during Hitching a Ride where, like, the band start fucking about and, like, just playing riffs while Billy Joe interacts with the crowd. Yeah. And Billy Joe, he starts, like... I mean, I've got to just caveat for that point. He's one of the best, like, crowd controllers I've seen in a band. Yeah. And when I, I saw agree. Green Day at the Emirates Stadium, which is the my favourite gig of all time, Holy shit! He had sixty thousand people literally eating out of his hand. Whatever, mm. whatever he instructed, the crowd were doing, and that's a very special trait to have. But on this occasion, he was like going like, "Oh, like, hey!" and the crowd was, sing- was singing back. He was, yeah. He carried on and on and on and on, and then eventually he got into this like he was like joyrating down the down the microphone, and the fans were like singing it back to him. Like it's you might have forgotten it, like but it's no, really, it's, like, I remember actually it's Mercury esque, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really in 2019. It's a little bit uncomfortable to watch because, <laughs> because of because of the political landscape and and how that is. But it's an example. And it really shone out to me as in like how Billy Joe is actually making sex noises down the microphone, giving it one second, the crowd is singing it back to him, and he's doing it again, giving it a second, and they're singing it back to him, and it's like that is how invested. Green Day got sixty five thousand people, and it's just crazy, man. Um, it is. It's the cover. Of, the cover is a cover of Shout as well, like a fifties and sixties pop song. They're just just wand- randomly whack in the middle of King for a day, and it's it, it it is it's just it is fantastic. Like that, the whole show is, is brilliant. Yeah, if you're like a musical historian that loves the the big the big stage feel, uh, that's one of the live albums that you should absolutely check out. It's one. It's Great. one of the. It's one of the best ones I've seen, and I hadn't seen it in so long. Yeah, it's I think fantastic. My, I think my sister had a copy, and I watched it a couple of times with her while while she still lived at home. But I hadn't seen it in years, and it just brought back so much, so many memories for me. What the album did, Ameri- by that I mean American Idiot, and I can honestly say, if American Idiot doesn't come out, if my sister doesn't buy that copy, oh, there's no fucking chance I'm sitting here. It just doesn't happen. That yeah. album links so many, so many parts of my life together. That watching it in that live scenario, and more Jesus a baby than anything else, 
Jeeves Suburbia yeah. on that album is nine minutes of music, which has probably changed my whole life. Without getting too sentimental, but watching it in that live scenario there was uh, was amazing, man. And yeah, like I say, if, if you're like a musical historian, one of the absolute, absolute certain gold live albums that you should check out, man. Yeah, completely agree. God bless Billy Joel, eh? Absolutely, man. So getting on with today's show, because I could probably talk about that show all day, actually, but uh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> should um, sack the podcast off and talk about Green Day? <laughs> Mate, we could do a whole Green Day episode. And that's an idea that's just shone in my mind. So you never know. You never know when that's going to come. Darren Malakian, uh, for those who aren't aware of him, he's System of a Down's guitarist who has recently, let's say, poured cold water really on the yeah. idea of a new System of a Down album. Now, System of a Down actually haven't done an album in 14 years now. We're talking getting on a decade and a half. That it was hypnotised in 2005, which yes. was the last album. And a lot has changed since then. And they were, they were on hiatus for several years, but they've done a few live shows and the headline download uh, a few years ago. I forgot the actual year, but it, just, it hasn't been that long ago. And yeah, I remember 2016, seeing... 2017, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think so. And I remember like, I specifically looked online after the shows. Like, oh, I wonder how System of a Dane were. And people were like really hot and cold about it. Yeah. They were like, yeah, the fire didn't seem to truly be there, but they played, they played the System of Dane bangers. So, you know, they didn't seem to be 100% into this, but when you're playing fucking Chop Suey, they could play it at 50% of the crowd, it's still going to kick off. Yeah, that's true. How, that's true. how much of a banger it is. So, uh, Darren was on uh, the radio, and I'm just going to pick out some of the quotes that he said. Um, one of them was, people change as time goes on, taste change, and people want to take the band in different directions. And you have other members that maybe don't want to go in those directions. So we haven't, so we just haven't come to an agreement on how... No, so, so we just have to come to an agreement on how we want to do it if we did make a record. I never say never, but at this point, it's not likely that it's going to happen anytime soon. And what I take from that is, we've got members of a band who, as you would expect, have changed in the last 14 years. And some members want to go in one direction and other members want to go in a completely different direction. And if that is the case, then I would legitimately rather them just not make another record, to be honest. I don't I don't want half our system ever down. Now, we've had these kind of conversations before and you've always been of the opinion where it's like, yeah, what if we get one last great system ever down song and like, yeah. and, and, and ten other fillers, but at least you get one last great system ever down song. And, and I, then I, the system ever down tour. Yeah, and, and I do understand that, but the purest in me, just, just like, is just screaming. If we're not going to get one hundred percent, then please don't bother at all, because toxicity still does absolute wonders for me. That album does. <laughs> I could listen yeah. to that again for another forty years, and I'll be fine because that album is a masterpiece, work of art, absolutely capturing the moment to a fucking T. Yeah, it um, came out on September the eleventh, two thousand and one. Crazy. I mean, that's a, a horrendous coincidence. But, it really is. You know, I think you could play that album to someone who's not into metal and they'd still get something from it. It's just that good. So for me, it's like, if we're not going to go full, if we're not going to give this full attention, get as creative as we possibly can within the confines of System of a Down, mm. as I know, then I don't yeah. want anything at all. What are your I've, views um, on this, man? I have a query for you before I, before I get to mine. I do, I do share a, a lot of your viewpoint. Based on those quotes that Darren gave, yeah. do you think that he... He's one of the band members that doesn't want to record new system material <laughs> or the other members of the band aren't. When he, what do you think, based on what he said, how, how, how does it sound to you? To me, 
and I've got absolutely no basis for this. I haven't got any kind of insider no, of course, info, which has made me think this. I think Serge ain't really into it, man. Just personally. Yeah, okay. I think I think Serge can live with Audi. And I think da- I think Darren is probably... Darren would probably do an album tomorrow. Darren. Just from, like, uh, other interviews I've, I've seen with him and heard and, um, and read and heard from YouTube, Just kind of sound like he's definitely throwing shade on the other members, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that whole some of us aren't feeling it thing, some of us have changed. Sounds like I'm trying to be understanding, but... I've been bored for a decade. Can we please just make an album so I have something to do? Because a in, little in this in this news piece that I'm reading from Metal Hammer, it's actually talking about Darren's talking about the fact that he's got like a, enough material to release two or three albums for another band that he's been doing. Um, I believe they're called Dictator. Right, right. I believe they're called Dictator, and he's saying here that he's got he's had enough material with them. He's being in the studio, doing enough that you can release two or three albums. So f- for me, that says, I want to do this. I've, yeah, it's I've, a I've political still... move. I've Don't got... come at me, System of a Down fans. It's yeah. not my fault. Yeah. I've got the material. He's saying he's still got the creative fire well and true lit within him. Yeah, send your tweets he's... to Serge Tanky and not me. Yeah, and he's just waiting for the other guys to jump on board. So it, it's an interesting scenario that you look at here. And it's I, I, do, I do kind of love these kind of like insider insights. Yeah. To seeing how a band really works. Because a band of system of a down size, infrastructure and funds, you would imagine they'd all absolutely jump at the idea of doing another record because you know that shit would sell. And you know those tours would sell out. Yeah. And they, and they would make millions of dollars. So it, I, just, I just find it fascinating when we're in a scenario where a band who are probably already millionaires, but they're, being, they would, they, they're on a scenario where they know they could make another six figures at least. And they can't come together because creatively they're not in the same uh, musical hot pot. Very true. But at the same time as well, you have to imagine, um, just listening to the sort of material that System of a Down come out with, you, you can't really just throw a few riffs together and half arse a System of a Down album. No, you can't. Like, you know, they, they can't just be like, I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to be disrespectful by comparing it to another band, but you can't just, like, you can't just chuck five riffs and a, and a breakdown. Serge sings a, a basic chorus. Like, Five Finger Death Punch could release an album every year and just change the titles of the, the riffs on the previous album. Yeah, not much deviates. Yeah, and, and I don't mean that offensively because they, they are an incredibly successful band and, you know, they, they, they're good at what they do and they're popular at what they do. But System of a Down, like, are mental. Like, in the best way. Like, they wrote songs about, like, taking a shit and, like, pies and like random little bits and bobs, and they make in the midst of that like serious political discussions, and the songs are really, really strangely structured, and you can tell like it's it's a band that were in a certain viewership and a certain mental situation to record those sort of albums, and probably a lot of narcotics from the sounds of things. <laughs> but um, but I'm of look, man, I, I'm with you entirely that I don't I don't want to have to sit here and say. System of a Down produced five or six really great albums and then this money grab. I don't want to have to say that. I really don't because that'll, that'll be sad. And if it comes out and and, and only da- and Darren's like pushing them like and it doesn't come out as well, then that's what it'll feel like, won't it? It'll feel like a cash and grab. It'll feel like a poor album. It'll, you'll t- be able to tell the difference. And, and Metal Now is, is so so competitive that the well, system won't be able to just get by on their laurels a little bit. So... So I understand your viewpoint, but 
but that being said, I, I would just, from a sentimental point of view, I'd just love to see those guys in the studio because they are terrific songwriters. And if it meant a new system tour and if it meant a, 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 a couple of good system songs, I'd be down for that. I just, clearly now, I, I shouldn't hold my breath. I'll tell you what, dude, I'm going to give you something you must say just yes or no to. Okay. Uh, are we listening to a new System of a Day album by 2022? By 2022? Yeah. If you're giving me three years, I'm taking three years. Yeah. I'll say yes in the next three years. We're not listening to one in 2020. But um, these things have a, have, a, have a way of figuring themselves out. And, hey, man, like, everyone's got to pay their mortgage eventually, right? And, I'd, and I think it, it does come down to that sort of thing. I think you do get motivated by the want to continue at some point. And I think that's... I think that's going to kick in. System of a Two popular, and the fact that they've had conversations about this shows that there is machinations. And that member, I forgot the name of the drummer, um, but John Darmian. Yes, thank you. Um, uploaded that picture from the studio, didn't he? Remember yeah, that? And we got very excited. We did get very excited, but that means that they've written songs and they've been in a studio, and maybe they're just having arguments about what the album should sound like or what it should be called or the the path that they should take or. Or whatever. So, I think those get sorted out. I, I just do. The, the, the moment they want to record the album, the record label will set aside six weeks worth of time and I'll get the money and that's it. I know you asked me to say yes or no and I, I definitely didn't I knew do that. you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> but yes, I think we're listening to System of a Down music in 2022. New System of a Down at least. Just before we move on, for me, it's funny because... In terms of political landscape, there's probably now a better time for System of Down to do a record. The political landscape worldwide... At We're the moment, crying out for mess. System. Yeah, yeah. Like, worldwide, the political landscape is an absolute mess at the moment. So that it, you would think that the time couldn't be better for Mate, System got, to be in the we studio. We've got BYOB and toxicity out of George Bush. Imagine what Donald Trump could give us in terms of System of a Down riffs. Mate, down even. Like, <laughs> this is what's shocking me as well. Where's the new Green Day album? Well, well, Sam, we don't want that. <laughs> we don't. Their last four have been absolute shit. We don't want another no, green I, I agree with that, but don't you think, didn't you have a little bit of hope where you were like, oh, shit, Donald Trump selected. Oh, at least Punk will be good. Well, the, the funny thing is, is that that was like, I think I put a status about the, the second I saw on Facebook that Donald Trump had, had won the election. I was like, to be fair, though, um, next green album should bang. And then they released Revolution Radio, and he did everything apart from bang. <laughs> so I'd, 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 I'd want a Green Day album if they were going to be good Green Day and not yeah. Green Day that seemed like, well, well, I guess we could do an album. Yeah. We, we won't we won't get into that because that's another 30 minutes we could talk about that. But yeah, um, I agree with you. I think by 2022 we're listening to System of a Day music again, but I don't think it's going to be System of a Day music that... Uh, lights any sparks for us to be honest oh, some so, something tells me that it's going to be a bit like I guess we have to do an album and we'll just and, and it'll be our swan song but hey man like you said we might get one more sick System of a Down song and maybe it would be worth it if it, if, if it results in another System of a Down tour that I went to then yes it would be worth it because I've never seen them live and they're a fucking great band and I'd love to do that neither have I we might be very excited Bring Me The Horizon Yes. Have said that they, are, that they are a year ahead of other bands. Now, well, I say right, Bring Me okay. the Horizon, it's actually Lee Malia, the guitarist, that said 
that they, they're a year ahead uh, of other bands. Now, how much are Bring Me Feeling themselves at this moment in time? <laughs> quite a bit, actually. Like, and, their self-confidence meter is off the fucking chart in the last few weeks. I'm just going to go through some of the quotes on this interview here, again, uh, through Metal Hammer's website. <laughs> Lee Malleus said, I think we've been ahead of some other bands. I think we've been ahead of some other bands, to Oddie's credit. He's quite good at that. He has ideas for anyone else. He'll come up with something and you'll think that sounds like it's just going to be mental, like having a choir all chopped up on a CD. But then we did that and everyone started having choirs on their CDs, the whole metalcore scene, but a year later than us. Or having strings, even though, of course, Metallica did it years before. We tried to modernise modernise it. I always think we have been a year ahead of other bands who are just seeing what's cool and then copying it. Oh, my God. I think we always thought ahead and thoughts about what we were doing rather than just doing the same thing again. We always thought we could do what we could do next to make it better. So, I'm sorry, did, did he actually get his own dick out and suck it directly after that? <laughs> so I don't want to stay on this for too long because we've talked a lot about Bring Me The Horizon in the opening seven weeks of this podcast. Now that's understandable because they literally released a new album and it's been probably the most high profile album that we've reviewed and it got yep. and it got number one and i'm happy for them and it got it gets still and got when it first got released some hatred that i don't quite understand but <laughs> would you believe the internet was nasty to someone how surprising <laughs> speaking on this point yes whilst me saying the words out loud i was thinking to myself god this does sound quite egomaniacal i've got to say that they kind of are. In, if we're talking about, if we just rewind, if we if we rewind here, mm. and we start from, there is a hell. Yeah. Because there is a hell was where there were, was where for me it all came together and was like I say that for me that's the best album and I think it's a fucking masterpiece of of heavy music, but I'm gonna go back to 2011. And even though I was nowhere near as into music then as I am now, and I wasn't aware of as many bands as I am now, I didn't hear any heavy band fucking about with synths in 2011. And bringing in, like, gospel choirs and making, like, the whole album, like... Obviously, bands have done religion-based music before, but literally, like, Bring Me The Horizon had, like, had this whole, like, kind of gospel air about the album, which which really fucking worked, and the dichotomy of the soft angelic tones and the techno in, uh, techno implements into the album, gone against Ollie's fucking throat cutting vocals, was the sickest thing ever. And there's a moment on Anthem where you've got like this girl that whispers into the microphone, "I feel like my heart's been touched by Christ," and it goes yeah, into the yeah. really the really hard riff of it never ends. It's one of the sickest transitions between songs I've ever heard in my life, and I was just obsessed with it. And then, so after that, all of a sudden, this, in 2011, when they did that, it's important to remember that bands like Of Mice and Men and Asking Alexandra were breaking through just then. And mm. they were absolutely in no way necessarily fucking about with synths. But well, Asking Alexandria were a bit, but that was a bit more dance tech now. In terms of strictly synths and like violins, etc., no one was fucking about with that in metalcore. I only bring with the horizon. Funnily enough, Two years later, how many bands all of a sudden had, like, fucking synth sections and violins, etc. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it was just like, ah, Bring Me did that a couple of years ago, to be fair. And then there was Semper Eternal, which I don't think is their best album. If, in my opinion, it's their second best. But, holy shit, dude. If you're talking about the full package as a metalcore band, like, the, 
brand that like kind of blended into rock and the addition of Jordan Fish worked fucking wonders. And all of a sudden they've gone from this metalcore band that now are a quote-unquote metalcore band with, with a big fucking rock chorus. Holy shit, could think of a better example of it working. Because last year, Bullet For My Valentine tried it. And holy shit, was it awful. So, for me, I think Bring Me The Horizon have been ahead of the curve since 2011. And I can tell by the way that you've been quiet for a while that you'll probably disagree with me. To the extent that, that Lee is making out, possibly not. But I do think that Bring Me have been ahead of most other bands in and of their ilk. Now, now they are a rock band slash kind of a pop band so we'll see how ahead of the curve they'll be possibly in two or three years but for what's been already in my opinion yeah why not sam i think i think within this subgenre, i think they can make a point they did a lot of things first in their subgenre, but that's assuming that they bring me looked around and the only people that they were taking influences or trying to get ahead of was like the other fucking six bands into there's been six who were hardcore but if, it, if Lee Malley is claiming that they were the first band to think that extra electronics or sounds would have worked in a in a in a, in a heavy album, then he's just incorrect. He's just incorrect. So yeah, I don't it, think that's what he's saying there. So if 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 it's it, it, within metalcore, they've made they've made braver moves within the deathcore movement and stuff like that. They've made braver moves than any other band. That I get that. But there's like entire genres with synths in metal and symphonic music and. Uh, orchestral music with metal and there's like entire genres dedicated to it and stuff like that and it and and there's 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 been there's been bands in the in 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 the the, the 2000s that have had like extra sound effects and the transitions now bring me have have popularized it and probably done it better than any modern metal band and really 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 ever in the last sort of 10 to 15 years um they've they've sort of perfected that and they've made variation they're calling card really every album is deliberate uh, deliberately different and their ability to mix like electronic stuff with 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 metal uh, especially in there the, there is a hell to sort of step eternal and, and and that's the spirit sort of period i think they were, they were they were incredibly 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 successful at that um i think to say they're a year ahead of every band in metal i think is at this stage strange um, because what, what, while I understand the principle within the bands that they are might be directly competing with, um, I, don't, I think if you asked a lot of metal bands that are performing, would Parkway Drive consider like Bring Me the Rising contemporaries that they're going to follow next? Like I don't, I don't think that they are. Um, are, are we, are we going to say that like Avenged Sevenfold had like long songs and sort of like expanded choral uh, orchestral stuff in like city of evil in 2005 but that was a slightly different genre so we do we just discount that to, to agree with lee malio who's looking around saying well born of osiris never did this or alexander andrew never did this well yeah it's i don't know I, I i i think i feel like lee malia is patting himself on the back for being the top of the conference if you know what i mean like it's it's their their way ahead of every other deathcore and metalcore band, and they have been pretty much since their inception, uh, because they pretty much invented modern deathcore, and then moved away from it as quickly as possible. Um, but there are so many other bands outside of the genre that are making leaps, and making moves and making variations. So I really think Bring Me the Horizon are looking sneeringly down on the deathcore and metalcore scene, but are forgetting 
so many other bands that are making advances elsewhere. I'm curious. Uh, sorry, I am cautious all of right. the time, so I will. Yeah, of course. I, I will move on. That was. Uh, I'd love to talk to you more about that, uh, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very cautious of how long we're going to go. No, this, no, so no. We've got some reviews we'll move, to do. We'll move swiftly on. So Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park has been talking about uh, progress within the band, about the potential of someone coming in to replace Chester. Of course, referring to Chester Bennington. Of course. To take a couple of quotes here. If we find somebody that's a great person, we think is a good personality fit and a good stylistic fit, then I could see trying to do some stuff with somebody. I wouldn't what I wouldn't want to fit, ever feel like we were replacing Chester. It definitely would be hard for me. I didn't want to spend the last year not doing anything, and I knew that the band wasn't ready to do it, so I wanted to go do it myself. There he was referring to him going out and touring just on his own. So, we won't spend too long on this, but... I, oh man, I watched, the, well I saw clips of the show that Linkin Park did where they had some guest vocalists come in and do some of the Linkin Park songs uh, in as, as a like memorial to Chester. Uh, yeah. Oli Sykes Sol- was one of them actually. And I Sentiment thought it, aside, it wasn't great. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that, that's, where, that's where I was going. And... I think, oh man, like I really can't imagine ever seeing Linkin Park on a stage, and without it being like a memorial to Chester, where vocalists come, like Dying Bash, and you know, I like a Dying Bash, people come and do Pantera songs. Yep. Without outside of that scenario, I don't know about this man. Um, I, I'm completely with Mike in the sense that unless we find the absolute perfect guy, then nah. And I, I, I'm I'm feeling that man. How about you? I completely agree. Um, Queen Queen tried it and it was weird. Uh, they tried to find Freddie Mercury, ended up going with that like lead singer of Free, Paul Rogers, and then they, they ended up fucking going to like, oh, we might just do shows in Vegas with like a hologram of Freddie Mercury, and it just gets strange. Like, just stop. Tri- you end up trying to recapture the magic or finding someone who has the unfortunate job of trying to recreate somebody like that. And Chester's got a voice that isn't isn't repeatable. Uh, you're not going to get somebody that sounds like that. I think it's I think it's more likely that Mike Shinoda does albums under the Mike Shinoda name, and then the ones that he would have given Chester, he gives to a different vocalist, and they just sound like what they sound like. Trying to replace him in Linkin Park is would be nigh on impossible, and I, and I respect that they're not trying to do that. Yeah, I respect that. And just before we move on, I can't imagine, nor do I actually want, really, to ever see Linkin Park on the stage that are like trying to create a new banner of Linkin Park without Chester in. I just don't think it would work. And I think that whoever took that mantle would literally have an impossible job. Well, yeah, I completely, I completely agree. Uh, I completely agree. I'm glad that Linkin Park are clearly aware of it is better to replace no one with, with no one than try to do this at this point in time. Like if they were like three albums in like ACDC were early in their career when they replaced Bon, um, Bon Scott with Brian Johnson that at least been around for sort of six or seven years that was sort of very different to where we are now this is like well established it's it's just do exactly what you're doing Mike do I think you're doing the right thing new after the burial song oh boy <laughs> mate oh my god so the new song is called Behold the Crown it comes from the album Evergreen which is going to be released on April 19th through Sumerian Records. Good fucking lord, Sam, this song. 
fuck me, Chris. I, I, I want to take this song out on a date and fucking then take it out for several dinners and I want to be introduced to this song's parents and then I want to have a speech where I stand up in front of my friends and they get married to this song and then have sex with this song and have little songs that I then take to school later that give me continual joy because I am fucking head over heels in love with this. This Did people notice then how Sam waited till he got married to the song to have sex with it? You're so nice, Sam. (laughs) You're such a gentleman. (laughs) Absolutely, because I wanted to prove my commitment to this song only. Because Chivalry is not dead. Chivalry is not dead because the moment I heard this pin- these pinch harmonics at the start of this song, this was the only song I ever wanted to listen to for like the next two weeks. <laughs> I haven't even I have I listen to metal now and I keep thinking, like I I, I I don't know about you, but I can't I really struggle to listen to songs back to back. Like once I've listened to a song because I listen to music like 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 you like quite intensely. Yeah. Like and once I've listened to it once, I feel like I, I, I all right I've got to give it a minute now. But like this one, man, I've been like. I've listened to two other songs now. I can go back to After the Burial and it won't feel weird. <laughs> it's so good. Like, uh, it is sensational. Now, After the Burial, like, do things to me. Like, they're, they're, the, they're the band as far as, like, what does Sam want in, like, modern metal? That is what Sam wants. Do those things um, forever because I think it fucking absolutely rips. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it just... I can't say enough positive things about it. I think it does everything well. Yeah, I was going to call this Behold the Crown AK Harmonica Fest. Because, <laughs> holy shit, man. The pinch harmonica in this. It's like fucking Impulse Crushed by Ithaca. Just yeah. wah every fucking, every fucking <laughs> two seconds. I can't believe you actually riled out your pinch harmonica in first <laughs> Oh, my God. We were, listen- we were listening to this song in my room on Friday night, yeah. And we were about taking, like, about taking the piss doing our harmonica impressions. But, yeah. Uh, this song's an absolute banger. Uh, it builds from what Dig Deep did in terms of yes. creating the the really kind of heavy, brutal metal core, but in a kind of expansive way. It does sound like a step forward, doesn't it? It does, man. Uh, it looks like it doesn't deviate from what Dig Deep did, but it does oh. seem like a bit of a, a structural step forward, and I think yeah. that... No, that's fair. Uh, I, I think that this album, Evergreen... Is yeah. is gonna be? It could be a real, real special one. We were talking about Dig Deep, me and you, and I, I said to you that outside of like three or four absolute bangers, the rest of the album is a bit like, oh yeah, that's same, and that one is. So, yeah. and I think I could say the same for every album that I've I've listened to of After the Burial. Three or four absolute fucking rippers, and then the rest like, yeah, man, that's sound. Yeah, yeah, it it stays in third gear for like six songs, but then. There are there are there are two or three that are absolutely incredible. I think this is definitely going to be one of those, though. I think that's what I'm saying to you. My only concern is what if the album doesn't match up to this? Because this is honestly fucking amazing. Yeah, this yeah, like this is lost in the static quality. Yeah, this is. yeah, this is absolutely brilliant. Um, so I am I am concerned a little bit. Um, that the rest of the album won't match up a little bit. But these are, if you're any modern metal band please put After the Burial with you because they are perfect for any support slot, any any stage. Any, any, just please, they're just perfect. This, 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 song is, this song is honestly sensational. I think um, it's, it's wonderfully played again. They're so tight. They're so intense. They're really sort of heavy and passionate and sort of thudding, um, just outrageously heavy. Uh, I think the vocals are once again terrific. I think there's a there's a solo in here. 
Oh, mate, their guitarist is just... He's unfair. He's, he's unfair. If he wasn't after the burial, he'd be, like, lecturing at some Harvard college for guitar playing or something. He's just <laughs> absolutely sensational. So th- this is just this is just fantastic, and I, I hope that this lifts them up to greater success, and I cannot wait for us to review this album. Um, and I do hope that I won't be disappointed. Yeah, of all the albums coming out that's relatively soon that we actually know dates for, obviously Lamb of God and Slipknot, Killswitch not included, because we don't actually know dates for them. Yeah. After the burial, what is the one I'm most excited for? Because I think, I think that there's that feeling that the whole career could have been building up to their apex, their absolute, this is the album for after, yeah. the after the burial. Because, like I said, so far it's been a list of albums that have been good, like like... Good albums with a sprinkling of absolute genius. Yeah. And I, I, I think it is well within their capabilities to do an album of genius with with good sprinklings. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Genius with good sprinklings. <laughs> um, I, I agree. I think Thy Artist Murder needs some company up there on that death metal, deathcore pedestal. And I believe right. that After the Burial could do could be there. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. That's my that's my hope that, that they take a sort of step that... Um, Die Art took with hate or Holy so, War that would be great album review time this is going to be really interesting for me because I've got absolutely no idea whether you're going to love or loathe this so this band are called Holding Absence they're a band, yeah. from, they're a band from Cardiff and for some background information Cardiff is actually where Noise the website originated through our very good friend and boss which you will like me saying Jack Holloway he was also so, a big fan of this band. He was a big fan of this band, and that leads beautifully in to me, because just before we came on to do this, I messaged Jack, and I was like, hey, well, you know, we're reviewing Holding Absence. Uh, give me a shout and let me know what you think of the album, and I'll read it out on the show. So I will just... I'll, oh, has he? Yeah, yeah, he's managed to get back to me. So I'll read through this. For me, Holding Absence have played the long game, and it's worked. The way it has only increased the craving for the album. That said, the pressure was on to make it full of that full of a standard that fulfills fans, doesn't lose the passion and intensity of the singles and also offers diversity and unity on the album. The album ticks all those boxes and the band have pushed themselves lyrically and musically. Fans, including myself, will be so fulfilled by this full body of work. As someone that has known these dudes before Holding Absence was even a thing, I know how hard <laughs> they've been wor- I know how hard they've been working towards this and that only makes the result all that more special. So he Jack couldn't Holloway. help himself, could he? <laughs> so, just to make him seem like, oh, I was the first fan. <laughs> As a guy that knows these guys personally, I saw this personal journey. Bloody hell. So Jack, Jack was holding behind the sofa when they recorded the album. Like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. So Jack Holloway is a fan of the album. And it is a self-titled record. Now, Holding Absence are a band that have been around for just a couple of years, actually. And I first cottoned on to them because... I follow a lot of people from Cardiff because obviously that's where this website originated and I saw that a lot of people were talking about them and I didn't really check them out until they did a split EP called This Is As One. They did it with a band called Loathe, who are heavy as fuck from Liverpool. And I was like, yeah, the the two songs that Holden Absence did, I was like, yeah, man, I can see there's something here. They've got like the really emotive, hard rock stuff and it works for them and the vocalist is quite good. And I was thinking, you know, when when this al- when it comes to fruition, there's, there's an album, I'll be really interested to listen to it. And then I kind of forgot about them because I think this is as one was released like, yeah. oh man, at least at least a year ago, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of forgot about them. And then when we were in Cardiff with Jack, 
uh, about three or four months ago, Jack put a song on in the car called Like mm. a Shadow. And I, yes. said, I said, dude, who the fuck is this band? This is amazing. He was like, this is holding absence. And I was like, fuck off, no way. This is holding absence. He's like, yeah, man, it's amazing. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, dude, this is legitimately incredible. This is an amazing song. I love this. And I've been listening to that song ever fucking since. And before I actually go into the depth of the album, even though this song was released at the back end of 2018, so far this is the, the best song of the year for me. I think it's oh. absolutely. I think Like a Shadow is absolutely fucking sensational. As far as a rock song goes, there's literally nothing it doesn't do for what I would like in a rock song. Apart from uh, Six Solo or Brutal Breakdown, something like that, in, I, I think it's the fucking full package and I'm absolutely in love with it. But bef- before we go into the bare bones of the album, I'm just going to ask you straight out, Sam, are you excited for this band? A little bit. Okay, bit, in, that, yeah. in that case, I will, I will give it to you to start with the review. Yeah, I, um, I think I think this is really, really, I think it's really, really interesting. I agree with you. I think this "Like a Shadow" is a terrific song. I think it's really emotive. It's really full. I think their vocalist here is is by far the star of the show. I think he's fantastic. I think lyrically they're excellent. Um, it's like gives me sort of Def Havana vibes at times. Um, with the sort of rising and falling emotions and things like that. Um, however, my, my my criticisms of it are, while I'm, I'm excited, I think they found a formula that works for them. I think they go back to that well a little bit too often. I think all the songs have the same sort of sparse, deliberately emotive, synth, not synth heavy, but sort of atmosphere heavy songs with occasional entrances into hard rock. And then they come back out of them. And they'll re-enter there. And I know that when you're writing an album, you've got to go across the same tone. But I do find myself um, getting lost in the shuffle a little bit where I found it hard a bit to differentiate some of the songs because they all had a similar vibe. I'd have preferred it to, to grab me a little bit more. I'd have preferred it to, to push me a little bit further. Um, I'd have preferred it to, to go a little bit harder because I know that they're capable of that now. Where that works, where there is a greatest structure, where is the, a really pounding backbeat to really juxtapose the emotive stuff is in like a shadow which is why i think that is by far the highlight and why they have clearly identified the balance really really nicely but i think the rest of it doesn't do that as well that being said it is their best work it is a really interesting album i think it's going to be a really popular album and i think it fits a gap in the market that doesn't exist at the moment um they're filling gaps that have been left behind by other bands that have gone on to do other sort of things i think we've got room for that emotive rock hardcore-ish style because bands either go too hard or or too far the other way or just ignore it completely where i think hold and absence here are a really clever band and, and the, some of these songs are really well written i would just like to see just those edges sharpened a little bit but i think it's a really ambitious and a, a really engaging album so i am excited for this band i'm actually really excited for them because i think for a debut effort I'm really, really into oh, this. Oh, uh, absolutely! For 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 a debut, like in sorry, in that context, looking forward to the future. Yes, yeah, absolutely. When you look at it in context as a debut album, I would agree with you there. So, I am really into being as an ocean, and yes. that kind of post-hardcore and emotive blend of rock, like you were talking about, really hits home for me. And yet, this album had to grow on me when i first listened to this album i was like like a shadow is an absolute unbelievable banger but the rest i just ain't feeling 
and mm. it had to really grow on me. And when you pick apart what this album is, it kind of makes sense, to be fair, because uh, lyrically, the album is, is very... Um, it's very strong in terms of like the, the concepts that it goes into are very dark. Yes. And he play, uh, talks about mental health a lot. And, you know, lyrically, it's, it's a lot to take in. There's a lot to pick apart yeah, there. Yeah, and I, I do echo your sentiments that some, you know, if you were listening to this as background music, there are parts of it where you could be like, was that a 15 minute song? Because there are, there are moments in this album where there's not a lot of different differentiation. But after I listened to it, like for the third, for the third time, I was like, oh, actually, this is like starting to really, really grow on me now. And songs that I was like passive on before, like Marigold. Yeah. I, when when I was sat and actually truly listening to it, uh, the break that like the the pitch of Lucas Woodland's voice is fucking exceptional. And Vo- I do, vocally, he's incredible. Yeah, that, he's that fantastic. Be denied. He's fantastic. Lucas Woodland is unbelievable on this, and his vocal range is probably my favourite thing about the album. Like you got songs like Monochrome, where he does the the big power rock thing. And then, again, songs like uh, Marigold or what was the other slow one, like A Godsend, where he's a lot more intimate and laid back. And it works. The dichotomy does does work for the record. And once once I started to really grow on the album, a lot of what they were doing started to really work for me. Instrumentally, as you mentioned, not a lot of deviation, but Lucas Woodland really controls the album really well, man. Yeah, it's, it's an atmospheric album, is it? It's about overall vibe rather than sort of technicality. And what I would say is that to get the most out of this album, you can't really listen to this as background noise. Because when, no. when I was listening to this album for the first few times, just while I was doing other stuff, it kind of like went out of my head, apart from, again, I'll say, Like a Shadow. The rest of it went out of my head a little bit. And then once I, once I proper sat down with it, I was like, holy shit, man. This, for a debut album... This band can really go somewhere, and I, I believe that album two could be something really. I think really yeah, special. I think it, I think it's very very impressive for a debut album. I think that's a fair point. I mean, these guys are a load of youngsters, round about our age, if not younger. So they're going to get more experience. They're going to learn their craft more. They're going to get more creative. The songwriting's going to move up a gear. Yeah. They're going to they're going to be able to gauge the crowd's enjoyment of some elements of the album and less so for other elements of the album and they'll work on that part but I've got to say songs like Your Love chorus on that is absolutely fucking huge huge. really into You Are Everything as well Mm. and the final song Wilt 6 minutes and 38 seconds of of a song on your debut album takes some fucking balls to be fair especially when you're doing the kind of thing that Holden Absence are doing because it just does that very often it just does it man to pick up their musical style and stretch it to over five minutes is a task and it shows they've got they've, they've got guts and yeah, I, would, I would agree there i would agree there the bravery here some of the some courageous songwriting decisions that have been made uh, it's hard not to respect them for that you can tell they've got a creative vision that they all fucking 100 percent believe in and this album has taken quite a while to come out but put everything put all the context together of the kind of lyrical content of some of the crafting some of the songs and it all makes sense. I'll... You need your first album to hit as well. Yeah. At least, and you know I, what I mean? I like, you want does. to take time. I think this does. I think this 100% finds an audience. 100%. There's absolutely zero doubt in my mind that this finds an audience. Oh, and yeah. I... There is there is a big market for this sort of thing. Absolutely. And I would agree. I think this could be a fair bit of crossover as well. 
while I've seen some people refer to them as a metalcore band, I don't think they are. No. At all. At all. I don't I don't think that's what this There's is. There's not really any metalcore going on here. Yeah. Um I think I think that is quite a large uh, quite a large stretch. But it's, it's like like post hardcore if anything, I think, at times. And that's what it delves into. Then then it, it mixes with the other I I wouldn't even know how to describe some of the atmospheric style stuff. Yeah, it is I would, different. I, would, I, would, I wouldn't know how to how to how to how to gentrify that really, um, but I think that that's a positive thing as well. But I think this band could support Architects. They could, yeah, su- yeah. They could, they could su- and just like they could support of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. and they could probably support bands like Sleeping with Sirens as well, because they, yeah. they've got they've got a bit of all of those elements. And when this all fuses together on a large sta- on a large scale. I think we're looking at a band that could do something really special. And I'm really impressed by this album. And I know that you're a bit different to me. You you like to listen to albums like a couple of times and you and you go with your first instinct. Yes. And I think and, and I think if I did that with this record, we'd be having a completely different review to the one that I'm doing now. And I'm really grateful and glad that I had time <laughs> to just sit to literally like sit and listen to the album like oh. with with no other distractions because had I have just listened to it the one or two times, I honestly think this review goes completely differently from me because it it was just going over my head. But to anyone listening to this, take forty five minutes, listen to the power of this album in terms of lyrical and the power vocals from Lucas Woodland, and you'll one hundred percent get something huge from this album. In terms of a debut, I'm very very impressed by this. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I, lo- I love I love our conversations. What do you think of it? Eh, listen to it again. What do you think of it? I need to, you need to listen to it again. Okay, okay, I'll get the point. I'll, I'll, I'll have to. I'll, I'll sit down with it and I'll just put it in a dark room, <laughs> and I'll, I'll stare out the window, and I'll play it on repeat. And I'll promise. I'll but that promise. is literally that is literally how I got to like the album so much. <laughs> Are you okay? Apart from apart from t- that, I mean, when I say in that, a rough I was, week, I was actually on wweshop.com looking for t-shirts while I was listening to the album. <laughs> But there, that was when I was like, because I, I wasn't distracted by anything else. So I was like, holy shit, man, it's actually fucking great. I'm really into this. So yeah, um, album is, is self-titled by Holding Absence. Listen to it if you're into any kind of rock. I think if you're into rock at all, you'll get something from this album. I'm really I think, into yeah, it. I think it's, I think it's important. I think it's an important album to hear. Um, I think I think these guys do a lot of a lot of really really interesting creative stuff. And I think for a debut to be this ambitious, I think is a a fantastic indication of what's to come, and I agree with you that these guys have huge potential moving forward. Let's drop a score on this, man. Sam, I'm going to go to you. Um, I think, I think for for pure ambition, um, for pure ambition alone, um, I'm going to go with a seven. Uh, I think it, it doesn't necessarily do enough for me, but I think it is an incredibly impressive uh, first attempt. Um, but I can't give higher than that just for my own personal taste. So I'm going to stick with a seven. I'm going to go seven point five. I'm really into this, but I don't think it's all come together yet. But that's one okay. of the exciting. That, that's one Do of the exciting. You make exci- it sound like you thought it was the next master of puppets, and you give it 0.5 higher than me. No, I, I, I never. I never said it was absolutely incredible. I just said that once. I said that once I actually had a chance to really sit and listen to it, like my opinion of the album shot up like tenfold. Because at first I was like, "This ain't doing it for me, like at all." Yeah, I like, yeah. I, at least I, I'm not getting anything from this. Also, like two listens ago, you'd have given this like a six or a five. Two, yeah, literally two listens ago, I was like on six. I was like, ugh. I, I mean, I, like, I was like, like a shadow is a banger, but out, that's outside of that, I ain't getting nothing from this. Okay. I gave it the extra few listens. I was like, actually, 
there's real fucking potential here. So I'm going to go 7.5. I think this is a, a very, very good album that 100% builds a bridge for holding Amazons to make into a fucking castle when, uh, when album two comes out. And I'm very, very much looking forward to what this band are going to go on to achieve. I agree. I agree. So that would normally be it for this episode of uh, the Noise Podcast, but do stick around because my interview with Kaya Tarsus from Blood Youth is following just after this. A very interesting, uh, really great talking to him about the new album, what it was like to record it, and what it was like after Beyond Repair came out because the band kind of blew up, and it's it's been really cool to listen to him on that journey. We will be back in two weeks. Not sure on what the next album is that we're going to be reviewing at the moment. I need to have a look at what's out there and pick something for us. But there's a new album from I Prevail coming out soon, so maybe it'll be that one. And I am working on actually getting an interview with one of the Holding Absence members on the show. So hopefully we give you all of that. Stick around for the interview with Kaya Tarsus, and we'll be back in two weeks. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Kaya Tarsus, a lead singer in Blood Youth. Kaya, thanks for being on the show, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm excited to be talking to everybody about our music again, and yeah, it's good to be here. It's funny because actually, I remember speaking to you after uh, the first, uh, Beyond Repair came out, which seems like such a long time ago, but it was actually like less than eight, like just less than two years ago, right? Yeah, it's it's Beyond Repair seems like um, such a while back now because uh, we've done so much. Um, but yeah, it's it's 2000, uh, start of 2017, Beyond Repair came out. Crazy, man. Um, just, I've got a, a load of questions about the new album. But just, yeah, going, go. just, just going back to Beyond Repair for a, just a quick moment. Off the back of that album, you toured with Stone Sarah, Prophets of Rage, played festivals like Reading and Leeds. When you look back, did that album pretty much do everything that you could have hoped for for a debut record? Yes. Um... It, we we did stuff with that album that we never expected and and we we gained you know our fan base just grew and grew and grew and you know we 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 did things with you know we did so much so much touring on that album that it the touring from that album really kind of took it out of us and you know Apart from you know those bands you listed, we also did you know Bless the Fall. We toured with Neck Deep. We toured with Barry Tomorrow and Caliban. It was just we were on tour over Christmas. Like we had our Christmas dinner in a petrol station in Munich. Like and it was just it was just <laughs> pot awesome. noodle. So we just did so much on that album, and it was exactly you know what we you know what we wanted, and we never expected it to kind of blow up like that. Really, you were out there doing these cool tours, building your reputation the heat behind the band just keeps building up. What made now the perfect time to release an album? What, why not wait another six months and let Beyond Repair continue to settle? Um, I think that we were just, when we finished the Beyond Repair cycle, we were really, really just like, um, that was that. And we just, we didn't want, and people were kind of wanting so much more music from us constantly. Uh, six months into Beyond Repair being released, people were already like, when's the next album coming out? And we're just like, Jesus Christ, like, give us a <laughs> second to, to write it. Um, so we just thought that two years was a good time to kind of leave it. And then 2019, we would release an album. And it's crazy because we were talking with our manager at the start of 2018. And he was like, look, let's go for the next album at the start of 2019. And we were like, oh, my God, that's so far away. And it's just, I can't believe it's being released in 10 days. That's so crazy. 
just going back to how busy you've been, you seem to be a band that's constantly doing something. Even for the three or four months that you had off, you were recording yeah. the album in that time. Do you, yeah. ever, do you ever long for like some extensive time off where you can just go back and do like normal life stuff? <laughs> um, no, uh, I. That's kind of how we are. We're always itching to go back on tour and play shows and things like that. Um, I've done that thing. I've, I've, uh, you know, before before I was in Blood Youth, I was just washing plates in a restaurant. I, I that's all I did. And then I would come back to where I lived and play PlayStation. And that was like my life. Um, and then I, you know, I, I did a little bit of traveling and was just trying to figure out everything. But I kind of did all that. And I didn't really go away to university. After school, I just went straight into retail and just started doing that sort of thing. Uh, so this, this is all just all we've ever wanted to do. You know, maybe ask me that question in 10 years time when I'm like, I'm so sick of touring. Now. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but we're still, we still look at ourselves as a baby band. You know, we, we only started in 2015. So we still feel like we have just so much more like ground to cover as a band, even though we're just constantly going for it. That does bridge you to something that I did want to bring up. You've only mm -hmm. been a band for four years. Mm. Man. To me, it's, it's wild that you're in this position within four years. I mean, it didn't... Like, usually you find a band, like, really finds themselves in the the grubby pubs and clubs where four people yeah. turn up. But it seemed like, man, you dropped that first EP and all of a sudden people were immediately interested. Do you ever, like, look back and think, holy shit, man, we've only been a band for four years. We've achieved so much. Yeah, and we we do that quite a bit. And we do that quite a bit when we're on tour and... Literally, when when we're backstage and I'm stood next to Corey Taylor, I'm just there like this. Just feels like it's just this. What's going on here, sort <laughs> of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, we look back to when Inside My Head was going on, and you know, but you know, when we were doing Inside My Head, we were playing in pubs and playing to two people and and things like that. And um, we'll never ever kind of forget being being on those kind of tours and doing those kind of tours because those tours, you know, that can happen tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? You can get back to that stage tomorrow. Yeah. So, so you always have to remember that. And we're very good in this band of not getting too ahead of ourselves. And we're always, we're so hard on ourselves in this band. We sometimes do have to stop and be like, guys, we've only been doing this for like four years. Like, and look at the shit we've already done. So it's, yeah, it's, it, it is crazy. It's nuts. It's the maddest thing for me is because I remember how I first found the band. Uh, you supported Beartooth. And yeah. my, I couldn't make it to that show, but my best friend went and he came back to me. He's like, dude, there is this support band called Blood Youth. He's like, man, you'd be really into it hard as fuck. <laughs> um, and like really cool grooves and that. And then like, I listened to that Inside My Head EP. And like I was in instantly. So did you ever, when you were on that first EP, and you'd somehow secured this tour with Beartooth. How did do you remember how that came to be? Because usually bands don't secure uh, tours with Beartooth <laughs> on the first EP. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of how we how that offer came about. I think that um, you know it was quite funny because when we released that EP, everybody called us British Beartooth. All oh, right, okay. Um, in like a, a good and bad yeah way. yeah people were just like ah it's just bare tooth but in this band we've been compared to every band under the sun so that just doesn't phase us we're just like yeah whatever um 
And I don't know, maybe that worked in our favor somehow. But I remember we got that offer and we'd only been going for about five months, I think. Um, and it was literally something like that. And we were like, um, okay. And, and around that time, we were still very uncertain because Sam just left to join Neck Deep. And we kind of hadn't really done anything as a band. We were still so new. Um, we were just like, let's just do, let's just accept every, everything and anything. And then all of a sudden we got this bare tooth offer and we were like, fuck, right now we've never had a kind of massive offer like this for touring. Um, and that was the, the, the tour we were like, right, let's just be a four piece band. And we haven't looked back since then, really. Swans to the new record. Uh, mm. man, I'm, I'm so intrigued here. Um, mm. But I've seen interviews with you and the, the main thing that I've heard you say is like, we could have wrote another 20 Beyond Repairs, but we didn't want to. Was that the first thing you established as a band when you were thinking about a new album? Let's not do another Beyond Repair. Yeah, because that's also an album on its own. And I, I kind of look at Beyond Repair as like an extension of the two EPs. It's kind of the same formula. And when we were writing that album, we knew that it was... I don't, I don't want to ever badmouth that album because it's like did so much for us and we fucking love it, but it was very safe. And we knew that we knew that releasing these songs, everybody that liked us would like those songs, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and we started writing the second album and we wrote half an album and it was sounded exactly like Beyond Repair. And we were just like, you know, what's the point of being sort of musicians and being a band and stuff like that if you're not going to try something different? Yeah. And we we were very uncomfortable with the fact that a lot of people thought and a lot of people in the media, magazines, whoever, they felt that they had kind of figured us out as a band and they were just like, that's blood youth, that's all they're going to do, blah, 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 blah. Um and that's where that's where they'll draw that line. They'll always kind of sound like this, and that we hated that. That got under our skin so much, and we were like, "Well, if we just release another Beyond Repair, those people are kind of we're proving them right, and they're just gonna say this just sounds like Beyond Repair." So we were like, "Fuck it, let's just completely just like throw everything out the window and start it all again." And that's when this album was kind of born. On your new record, Starve. Uh, I'm really into it. I think it's absolutely fucking wicked. Um, oh, I, I was really into Beyond Repair, but I really mm. respect the leap that you've taken with with Starve. And at mm. this at this point now, there's a very select few bands on on the on the earth at the moment that sound like you do. Is oh, this wow. is this your way now of saying this? We're carving our own path. Yeah, and that's kind of what we wanted to do, and that's what we meant by that whole Beyond Repair thing that we kind of. You know, there a lot, like I said, that everybody just kind of compared us to somebody all the time, and we were just like, let's kind of do the, do like, let's sound like Blood Youth, and let's sound like what we like as 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 musicians and as songwriters and things like that. And yeah, when we started, we were like, we want to make. We all sat down, and you know, me and like Chris, Chris writes all the riffs, I write all the lyrics, and and we were just like, let's make an album that's kind of ruffle some feathers and make a mark and people kind of say like oh that's the album that did that for blood youth sort of thing 
the new metal sound is a breath of fresh air. And like yeah. when I when I first pressed play on the record, I honestly did not expect it. It caught me off guard so much, but it completely yeah. works for the album. It it listening to listening to it in retrospect, it's saying it makes so much sense. Especially, yeah. especially when I talk to you and you explain the thinking going in. When the when the mixing had been done, the mastering and the CD is printed, any fears at all that you may alienate some fans who were hoping for a Beyond Repair 2.0? Yeah, there was loads, loads, loads. We got the the master the mixes and masters back when we were on tour with Crossfaith in I think that was in October and November or something. And I remember being sat in my bunk listening to it and genuinely being a little bit scared because I was like, wow, this is really different. And I, and I really had to sit with it. And then I was, it took, it took a good week, not saying I didn't like it or anything. I loved it, but I thought, wow, this is going to shake some shit up. Um, and it did, and it's still doing that and it hasn't even been released yet. Um, but sure, yeah, there was. I think everybody was. There's been a bit of anxiety, and there still is until it's kind of been released, really. Because only like a few people have heard it. You know what I mean? The coolest thing is that it just differentiates you from like ninety percent of what's happening in the industry. Yeah. Because yeah. like for me, um, doing what I do, you get a you know a lot of bands. They do sound like they follow the same kind of blueprint, and some bands are fucking great at it, regardless. But it's really cool to for to listen to a band that had the balls to literally take mm. everything that they had and just make it darker, man. Um, so I just wanted to say fair fucking play for that because it would have been so easy, <laughs> as you've mentioned, yeah. for you to just do another Beyond Repair, and people would have bought it, and you'd have got the cool tours, and you would have got the, the the great sales and the good merch sales but for you to just want to be different is really commendable in itself oh, thank you yeah that was the entire point of this whole album really is to kind of do that do something for uh, like people that back this band and something for ourselves as well really Everything about the band seems to have gotten darker. Uh, your album artwork, the instrumentation, even your logo graphics seem to have gotten like mm. nastier and heavier. Is this the band that you've always wanted to be finally coming to fruition? I think so. I think we've always we've always wanted to go heavier, um, but we we didn't want to do that straight away, and we wanted to do it kind of bit by bit. Um, like I said, that we we just wanted to shake things up so much. We just wanted everything to be different. Literally catch everybody off guard and be like, oh oh Jesus, like this is so different and this is so strange. But you know, people get used to it. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess it kind of is. Um, we never, we've never kind of sat down and been like, oh, I don't think we're, we're the band that we're supposed to be right now. I think, I think how I would put it is that this is the band we've been evolving into. The spoken word tracks like uh, Stone Tape Theory and the spoken word elements on the record, they're like mm. legitimately unsettling to listen to, um, yeah. which is awesome. Like, and it's a real throwback. Like, you could find that on like a like an early Slipknot album, which I know you guys are all massive fans of. Mm. Or you know, for for uh, more recent times, you could probably find it in like a King Gate Ten album. What sure. was what was your motivation behind writing these tracks? Um, wanted to kind of. I want we wanted the, the the entire album from start to finish to pretty much sound like a horror movie like like a nightmare and and anything that will unsettle you and what unsettles us and when I was writing the lyrics I, I like 2018 was we did so much cool shit last year but 
2018 for me personally was like the wor- one of the worst years of my life. Just like I was my depression and anxiety and my body and blah, blah, blah. I was going through so much shit. And most of the days when we were off tour, I would just be in my room, sat in the dark, just going mental. And there's a track called Nerve on the album, which I find very difficult to listen to because all the words in the spoken word bit is literally stuff I wrote down when I was in my room and I just kind of used that as lyrics and it's just all very strange and real and I want to lyrically take people to that kind of dark corner and how they felt and make people like you know how when I first heard the Slipknot debut album I was terrified yeah because I didn't understand what was going on I'd never heard music like that the artwork uh everything not just slipknot other bands as well machine head just that, that music that heavy music it kind of scared the shit out of me and that's kind of what we wanted to do it takes a real brave band to chuck an 11 minute song on their sophomore record <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> again i wasn't <laughs> expecting it at all but for me that makes me think that this album is more about you showing that you've got the ability and the balls to take chances and is that what this record is more than your idea of settling on a sound? Yeah. Um, when when Chris first kind of, when I was sat with him kind of putting all these ideas together and he was like, let's have, he originally was like, let's have like a 15 minute last song. And I was like, no, I was like, <laughs> let's, I was like, that's too much. I was like, we can't do something like that. I was like, people are not going to get it sort of thing. And so, he kind of, we kind of sat down and talked about it and, you know, we, we thought it would be really cool if somebody was listening to the album and they were listening to that song and almost was like drifting away and then they wake up in, in the middle of all that chaos and it's just, like I said, the theme of being in a nightmare and a horror film and everything like that and all these elements and when we really broke it down, we were just like, yeah, we could totally do something like that. Um, and like recording that last track was terrifying because i was just in a room just fucking shirtless dripping with sweat and all those (laughs) screams at the end are just me in a room going nuts and it's just all very intense Uh, that's a slip not as it gets that is (laughs) exactly and and we just wanted those those aesthetics and that feeling and and things like that so i know people kind of there's that thing of like I've always said, like, oh, British Beartooth, oh, they sound like While She Sleeps. I know people now are going to be like, oh, they sound like Slipknot now, and they yeah. sound like Porn now. Absolutely. That doesn't, that doesn't phase us one bit. Like, we're just like, that's cool, because those bands are awesome. <laughs> like, so yeah. Whatever. It's cool. Do my research on the record. You actually took yourself away from society, pretty much, didn't you? Like, some kind of farmhouse um, yeah. to record the album. Did being in that kind of intense atmosphere help you create the intensity that comes across in the record? Like, would you reckon you would have been able to create the same level of intensity if you were in a multi-million dollar studio in LA? No, I, I mean, we, we did it very deliberately. We, we were, um, um, we felt that we were like way too comfortable when we did Beyond Repair. Cause I was like, we were in our hometown and I was in a, a, a studio that we rented and I would go home afterwards and have a bath and watch Netflix and stuff like that. And for this album, we were boom, like recording till 3 a.m. And like, it's just us in the middle of a farm. The closest shop was three hours away. And like, there was nobody else except us and our producer in this farm for three weeks. It's crazy, man. And we were just like, 
record till 3 a.m. And then after that, we'd watch horror movies until like 5 a.m. or whatever. And then start the day at 10 a.m. the next day and just do that every single day. And like after three weeks, we were like, we honestly, it sounds crazy when I say it now. We were honestly like, it feels like we're like, we've died and we're in like some sort of purgatory and we're recording this album forever. And like, we were just like going a bit crazy. And then the day after we finished recording the album, we went on tour with Stone Sour looking like ghosts. We were just like, <laughs> oh my God, like, this is crazy. Like, but yeah, we, we couldn't have recorded that in like sunny LA. We had to be like secluded. And it, have you seen Evil Dead, the remake? Yes, yes, I know what you're referring it was, to. It was like it was that sort of vibe, basically, how we were recording it. Like it was just in the middle of nowhere, basically like that. Was there anyone in the band that wasn't completely all in on the new ideas and the new concept, or was literally everyone on the bandwagon from from the moment that you started doing the demos? Or was there anyone that needed a bit of convincing that this was the right way to go? That might be a difficult question for you to answer. Um, no, but... every, no, honestly, everyone was on it. Everyone was really re- refreshed by everything that we were doing, and of course, everybody was a bit anxious because it was so different and everything like that. But everybody was fully on board, and I don't. We wouldn't have. We wouldn't have put out an album if the entire band wasn't fully in. We we don't really work like that. Nobody gets like undermined or anything. Uh, you know, I, me and Chris do the majority of the songwriting, but you know, Chris and um, Sam and Matt they have a huge say in everything as well. You know, if there was something a section, a lyric, or riff or whatever they didn't like, we would all sit together and, and change that. And that's how we've always written since literally failure was put out. Like, we've always done that. You generally find bands say that they learn most about the self either when they're in the studio recording a new album or when they're on tour for 100 days and they're getting to the point where they can't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. Do, you see the, do you see the recording of Starvers the moment as the time where you've learned the most about the band than you had previously? Maybe a little bit, but we toss, we're in each other's faces so much. Um, we, we, and we knew each other before this band even existed. We all are from the same town and we all went to different schools in the town. Uh, but we all grew up in the same sort of heavy scene in our town and knew of each other and things like that. Um, I've known Chris and, and Sam for over 10 years now. Uh, so it, it's, it's like, for us, I feel like it's a little bit different than guys that have just met three years ago. Um, but sure, there was times when, you know, we, I, I don't know, because we, we know when to push each other. We know when to, you know, make jokes and not make jokes and things like that. So it's a little bit different from us because we've known each other for so long. It's like a brotherly sort of thing in a way. We argue like brothers and we get on like brothers as well. Just to finish up, yeah. if you had to name one track that defines everything that Starvies what would you say it is? Uh, I would say nerve. Uh, just, just the lyrics, the theme, the everything. The, the that's uh, for me personally, it would be nerve, just because that song makes me so uncomfortable, really. <laughs> but yeah, uh, definitely that one. Dude, I wanted to thank you for your time, man. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on the wicked new album. 
Um, so in, I'm, I'm so in love with it, man. Um, oh, and, and, as, as I said to you um, earlier in the interview, it takes so much balls to just pick up everything that your band was <laughs> and, and not change it completely because there is still blood youth that runs through the album, but mm-hmm. it is it is a whole new concept and uh, it's definitely caught me by fire and I can see it catching everyone else on fire as well. So I hope so. Thank the new so album much. the new album is called Starve. Make sure you check it out uh, by Blood Youth. It's out on the 22nd of February, but this interview will be out already by then. Um, so yeah, check out the new album, Starve by Blood Youth, Wicked Band. Thanks for being on the show, Kai. Awesome. Cheers.